Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Gay News America. My name is Brandon Crumby. We want to welcome our listeners in the United States and around the world. Adam Sank is one of the most recognized and accomplished openly gay stand-up comics in the country, having been featured on NBC's Last Comic Standing, the Today Show, Fox's Laughs, VH1's I Love the 2000s, and Best Week Ever, CNN's This Hour, CNBC's Street Signs, and True TV's World's Dumbest Criminals, along with numerous other radio appearances. But let's get right to the man of the hour. We would like to welcome comedian Adam Sank. Oh, my God. You make me sound so much more famous than I actually am. I know. That's exciting. Nobody has any <laughs> idea who I am. That's okay. But, but, uh, uh, to, but, you know, but I, it's I, nice I to, to speak to you, you as always, Brandon. You too. Go ahead. I, I try to name drop you, and they're like, oh, Adam Sandler. That's great. I'm like, yeah, Adam Sandler. Right. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> how are you doing? I wish I had his money. Funny? Adam Sank. How are you doing? I am, uh, I'm doing okay, but it is cold as fuck here in New York City. Wow. You're allowed to say that because I marked this as explicit, so we'll just get right into it. All right. I love it. Oh, there's going to be a lot of fucks going on in this interview. Fantastic. It is. Uh, it's brutal. It's about um, six degrees outside is the real field temperature right now in New York. And uh, what's really fucked up is that this whole winter has been like we have a day where it's 60 degrees and sunny, which is wrong, you know, for, for winter in New York. And then the next day will be 20 degrees. And then it just keeps going back and forth like that. So everyone is sick. Everyone's nose is running. Everyone's got a cough. Oh, no. It's a big flu-infested city, and I'm always either too hot or too cold. So uh, how are you doing? Well, I can't possibly compare, but I will tell you that we had an exceptionally snowy Portland winter here in non-sunny Portland, Oregon. And let me tell you, that show Portlandia when it makes fun of us and like one snowflake hits the ground and it's fucking pandemonium. That stuff is not funny. That's reality. They're just basically shooting what they see out the window, man. You know, one snowflake hits the ground in Portland, Oregon, and all of a sudden it's fucking REM. Everybody hurts and leaving their cars on the bridges. It's exactly like that, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if your city is not set up for it, it it can be a big deal. I remember when I lived in Atlanta in the early nineties and, um, you know, any amount of snow or even rain, they were pretty freaked out because they just didn't have the um, the equipment for it. You know, but I I uh, I, I want to give a full disclosure. Like I took the Adam Sank crash course overnight last night. You're you're really oh funny. dear. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm what not, did that I'm What did that entail? That I need to know what the crash course entails. Okay. Okay. So here is. Um, here is exhibit number one. This is Adam saying a little bit from Live at the Stonewall Inn. Here's exhibit A, Your Honor. But no, I was thinking about the real Elmo, you guys, because a few years back, I don't know if you remember this, the voice of Elmo on Sesame Street, uh, the guy behind the voice, was accused by several guys of having molested them when they were underage. And there's absolutely nothing funny about that, except for this. Allegedly, they met him on these gay phone sex lines. Now, many of you in here are old enough to remember before there was Grindr and Scruff and AOL chat rooms and Manhunt, 
there, there were these, uh, these phone sex lines where it was like, I think it was like $3.99 a minute. I don't know. I only called them like a thousand times. And um, I don't really remember how they worked. I remember that you would call and you would listen to like recordings that other guys had left. And then if you liked what you heard, you could like hit a code and be connected to them. Is that how it worked? It was something exactly like that. And, um, <laughs> and this is allegedly how Elmo... Uh, stalked his prey. So I'm, I'm imagining this. I imagine it was something like, uh, "Hey guys, uh, Anthony, six-two, uh, brown hair, brown eyes, big cut cock, just looking for some action. Hit me up if you're interested." Hi guys, this is Bruce, um, five foot six, blonde hair, blue eyes, bi curious. looking for some fun, looking to play, you know, and just, just seeing who's out there. Okay. Hi, everyone! <laughs> Elmo's horny! <laughs> Elmo wants to party and play! <laughs> Elmo can host or travel! He is. All of those Muppets are fisting bottoms. That's how they stay upright. They just... You guys have been so much fun. Thank you so much, Stonewall. Good night. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Always Bye. keeping Bye. it classy. I'm so classy, aren't I? No, 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 no. Did you hear the cat? You, you must have. I mean, come on, you're feeding off the energy. You've got to, the more the cackling, like, does that get you going more? Like, how does that reciprocal energy work when you're out there? Well, you know, that joke is like a lot of my jokes. They start out really, like, not funny. <laughs> they start out really edgy, and the audience is totally not with me. They're like, you know, we don't know where he's going, but it seems like it's in the dangerous direction, <laughs> and we're just going to be silent and that's the scariest part, because I am asking them to trust me that I know where I'm going with this, and, I, and it will be funny if you just, like, relax. And so in the beginning, when I, when I start setting it up and I say he was accused of, you know, having sex with uh-huh, underage uh-huh. kids, there's just total silence. And then They're when afraid. I say um, there's nothing funny about that except for this, then there's, like, a little bit of giggling, and then it just grows with each punchline which is what you want so much you just want your jokes to to grow and expand until finally at the end there's just this catharsis and and um that was a joke i wrote probably two or three years ago i started developing it and i don't do it very often it's it's um it's for a very specific audience it really needs to be for a predominantly gay male audience and uh but when it works it works very well well, you know, and that's interesting because uh, I don't even want to admit how many hours I laid in bed with the Adam Sankey experience last night. But I will tell you this. Wow. I saw one clip. I saw one clip where you were clearly at a straight club and you were talking about sort of being the token gay. And I could tell that the reactions were different. So you've had that happen, haven't you? And I played all types of venues, so I get it, too. But you, you have played a venue for predominantly gay and then you've been on the other side like is it just the night and day difference and you have to change it up like how how much do you have to just roll with it and take it bit by bit 
I mean, I, I try very hard to be the same person whenever I perform because that's the only person that I know how to be funny um, being. If I, if I change my persona too much, then it just my, my material doesn't work. But I do choose oh, okay. different material based on, on who I'm with. You know, I, I've done synagogue shows where I'm performing inside a synagogue for, um, you know, entirely heterosexual, somewhat religious or very religious Jewish people. And I'm Jewish, so there's that connection. And I, um, I, I have special material I do that's just for them. And it's, you know, it's clean and it's very Jewish related. And I talk about my family and my upbringing, but I'm still me. Like I'm still gay. I still have the same personality. I still have the same sense of humor. And it's just a question of um, what do these people want from me? What can I give them that will make them leave happy? Because um, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a real compulsive people pleaser. I don't want anyone to ever leave my show feeling disgusted or put off or angry. Yeah. Like that's not my thing. So I try to figure out what do these people want from me, and then I try to give it to them. Nice. Well, I got really deep into the Adam Sankey experience. I literally saw where you played in Elks Lodge, and the man introducing you on stage says, the only man has a nicer ass than my wife. And I was like, oh, my God, that's happened. That's going down at an Elks Lodge, Adam. <laughs> that, man, that man is my brother-in-law. So oh, he, really? was not only, he was not only hitting on me, but he was also insulting my sister at the same time. And this gives you some <laughs> idea of what kind of family I came from. <laughs> that's a game that's okay that changes everything about what i just saw <laughs> now i have a favorite i have a okay so i i i, oh, again, good. I won't tell you how much i've been on but i have a favorite, no i have to tell you Adam saying you may you may okay. have you may have watched more of my comedy last night than anyone on earth ever has so i'm very i'm, I'm very impressed and moved by this <laughs> I owe you so much because the last time our interview was so unfunny and we've talked about it for like the year since because it was like all politics and it was so down. So I owe this to be a funny interview. Okay. So here's a bit that you did. I won't give you any setup. I'm just going to go with it. But let me tell you, this hits home for me. Uh, this relates to every gay man's fantasy about landing a straight guy. Here, Here's the bit that I really uh, thought that you killed it on. Here we go. Okay. Um, I live across the hall from a beautiful straight couple, uh, a, a, a husband, a wife, their newborn baby, so cute. And the husband's name is Steve, and the wife's name, I don't know her name, I just call her the obstacle. <laughs> and the obstacle seems to be uh, the breadwinner of the family. She's never around, which is fine. Uh, and. <laughs> And, and Steve is the stay-at-home father. I see him constantly with the baby, and the baby's so cute, you guys. The baby's name is Obstacle Number Two. <laughs> she picks after her mother. And um, Steve is every time I see Steve, he's always wearing the baby uh, in one of these forward-facing papoose things that the parents have nowadays, where your baby faces away from you. It's like this little alien that just sprouts out of your chest and sees everything that you see. You never have to look at your own baby. 
and this is where it gets weird. I feel like Steve hits on me a lot, and I know that every gay guy thinks that every straight guy hits on him, and we're usually right too. But I really think so because first of all, I live in New York City, and he's constantly talking to me, and we don't talk to our neighbors, right? What the? That's rude. <laughs> You know, I don't have time to have a conversation with you in the hall. I'm like, what, is the, is the building on fire? Why are you... But he'll say to me, he'll, like, he'll see me in the hall and he'll be like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, fine, how are you? And the baby's like this. The baby just hangs there, like this dangling cock block. Just fucking up my shit. And I don't know... I don't know what to do in this scenario. I've never been in a potentially sexual situation that involves a baby, thank God. Uh, so I don't know where to go with this. I don't know if I should be like, you know, Steve, I have that same papoose in adult size. It's leather. And I'll make the same face as a baby if you want to. Some of that's a real visual visual joke. You kind of have to see the look on the baby's face and the look on my face because the baby just looks like, you know, a, a baby, just a clueless, confused baby. But then when I do the face with Steve, it's like I'm getting fucked really hard by him. Oh, my God, that bit. I loved that bit. I just I, – I had to share that. <laughs> and, and Thank so you. Is that, is, is, is that make-believe or is that reality? Is that all – is that – like uh, like the old Seinfeld, like it was based on a real neighbor, and they just sort of took took that for like nine seasons. This is a real deal, isn't it? So I don't know how to make up a a story from scratch. I really don't. I, I'm I'm not. I'm a journalist. Um, that's been that was my professional training and and my early career was as a journalist. So I don't. I don't know. How, I don't know how to write fiction. I can only talk about things that have actually happened to me. I can embellish them. Okay. I can add things to them, but there was a guy named Steve with his wife. Who, they were both actors. They lived across the hall from me. The wife was never there. Steve was so sexy and such a flirt and always had that baby strapped to him. Yeah. And uh, I didn't tell you this part. Uh, uh, this, this, is, this actually – I used to talk about this on stage too, but people didn't believe that it was real, so I had to k- cut it. But this was actually true. So – I, I ran into him on Gay Pride. I had just come back from like a an event, and I was sitting on the front stoop smoking a cigarette, and he came outside, and um, he goes, uh, he's like, what's going on? I was like, yeah, I just came back from this Gay Pride thing. He's like, oh, cool. He's like, I'm on my way to a karaoke bar. Uh, and I said, really? And he's like, yeah, my acting teacher says I need to uh, to take bigger risks. So I'm going to go sing karaoke in front of a group of strangers. He's like, can you think of anything risky that I can do? And I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? So I was like, I can think of a few things. And he kind of smiled. And then he's like, well, he's like, I'm off to the karaoke place. Maybe I'll stop at a gay bar along the way. Ha ha. And I, and I literally, like, I just stared at him, like, speechless. And I go, take pictures, which <laughs> is, like, the stupidest thing ever. But it's the only thing I could think of to say. Wow. Tease. So I that's, never, that's what I'm thinking. I never got him. Tease. What's that? Yeah, they tease. They tease. He was it, such it a fucking tease. I think, I think he was just a, a, an attention addict. 
and I, I've had it happen to me in the workplace, and that's that to me. That's like, oh, at least yellow alert, uh, Mr. Sulu, yellow alert. You know, watch out for Klingons or something. Like because in the workplace, it's like, well, so if you do something with them and then it goes bad, then you still see them every. Do you know what I mean? How awkward would that be? So I mean, you, it would be awkward, neighbor, but a neighbor, a neighbor. It, yeah, it's kind of like a coworker in a way. <laughs> It would be awkward, Brandon, but I'm such a slut that I would I would deal with the awkwardness later if it meant, you know, getting the dick. Because this guy was okay. just – he was so, so sexy. Um, not to mention that it would be totally unethical because I'm sleeping with someone else's husband who presumably doesn't know that her husband is, A, cheating on her, and B, get, you know, half gay. <laughs> well, anyway, she could be an actor by day and a sex therapist by night. You know, just, there's ways to legitimize it. But I digress. <laughs> so, she was um, also very beautiful. They were a beautiful couple, and, they mo- and oh, the baby was really cute, nice. and then they moved out after about a year. You were mentioned in the Huff Post. I believe this was the time that your um, Live at the Stonewall Inn came out. So in the Huffington Post, it was titled, Have Grinder and Other Hookup Apps Ruined the Gay Male Culture? You were quoted in the HuffPost as saying, it's ruined us as a culture, I think. <laughs> and then uh, you noted that uh, guys walk down the street basically looking at their phones and don't effing see you. So I want to ask you if you, that still maintains true from what you were talking about in the one routine about the old phone lines and where it's at right now. Has the hookup apps kind of like destroyed legitimate gay dating in your view or what? I mean, I think they've destroyed dating period um, for both gay and straight people. I think the straights, as far as I can tell, are just as addicted to Tinder and Match.com and all of their shit as we are to Grindr and Scruff and ours. I, I, okay. I think that, you know, once upon a time, you had to go out to meet someone and you had to actually meet them and talk to them face-to-face and get a sense of, uh, you know, you had to use all five of your senses um, it was, you weren't just looking at, at pictures, and in, in the case of gay men, you weren't just looking at pictures of body parts. You, know, you were actually mm-hmm. getting a sense of like what, how this person moves, what their voice sounds like. Do, do they smile when they talk? Do they smell good? You know, do, do, they, do, do you get a sense of like normalcy about them, or is there something unsettling? You know, these are things that, that human beings need. We need these cues in order to really explore another human being and these apps make that impossible and they reduce us to such a a, a basic level where it's just you know do i have a good picture of my dick or do i you know do i look Mm -hmm. in in this one angle does my body look right in this light and um and we're not at all interested in what's going on inside of our heads it's all about like what do you like to do? What are you up for right now? You know, uh, there's. I, I feel like it's exacerbated drug use um, in our community because it's it's driven it underground to a place where it can hide in the shadows. And I don't know. I just, um, you know, listen. I, I'm not saying I've never used these apps. I, I'm I'm human, and you do what mm-hmm. you have to do when you're lonely and and horny. But I do. I talked to a therapist about this once because. Um, my therapist at the time is a gay man in his 60s, and he went through the whole uh, sexual revolution of the 70s with with all the bathhouses and the and the back rooms, and you know basically sex was just everywhere in the gay community. And I said, wasn't it worse then? 
And he goes, no, it was so much better because even though we had all this public sex, you still had to leave your apartment to go find it. And you still mm-hmm. had to actually walk up to another human being and talk to them or at least see them in person. Now everyone's sitting alone in their apartments with their phone and, and you're relating to your phone. You're not relating to other people. It's changed the whole landscape. You're right. And and this is about as unfunny as it gets, Adam, but at some point over the last 15 years, one of the guys that I met through the apps, uh, this is true, but very unfunny, tried to murder me and was honestly sent to prison for the attack. So I, I oh my a God. victim of, I, I'm a victim of uh, domestic violence. So I've, it's a terrible example, but it's a true story and I rarely tell it on there, but so, but that that's happen. horrifying, and right? I, and I'm so and, sorry and, that happened it, to you. No, thank you. But but I just I put that out there because I don't think that you know I, I heard you mention in one of your routines that you know you saw younger guys on there like a 22 year old. They're naive and they're really getting into this, and I don't think they know all the possibilities that that can happen. Or you know, I mean, you know, HIV seems like a much smaller concern if someone is going to like fucking try to kill you or hurt you. You know, I, I think that there needs to be like some safety measures in place for this online use. It's, it's, it's a dangerous world because it's as scary as the people are, but, but um, it's contained in a digital environment and it doesn't come with a safety manual. Do you, do you follow me? Uh, yes. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's very risky whenever you put yourself in a private situation with a stranger that you've never met, whether you let them into your home or whether they let you into theirs. You know, you're basically mm-hmm, taking mm-hmm. Your, your your life and your safety. I, think, I, I mean, it's scary enough for, for gay men. Can you imagine straight women? Like what – the fact that a straight woman will show up at a stranger's apartment uh, because she met him on Tinder and she's going to fuck him. I mean, it happens mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. the time, and, and I hope – that, that that the incidents of of, of rape and, and and worse are are rare, um, but they but they, yeah. it has to happen. And I just think um, I think honestly the best thing to do if you're going to meet someone on any of these hookup apps is to meet them in a public, public place. place or yep. or at least text a friend. Say I just met this person on Grinder. This is their Grinder name. I'm headed over to their apartment at this address. I'll text you later and, and let you know how it goes. You know, just like involve another person so there's a witness at least. And, um, and on on the other side, and this is something that is totally relevant with what's going on right now with WikiLeaks, you know, dumping all these government documents and what the CIA is capable of. So what if uh, it was like Ashley Madison or whatever that had that whole reveal and revealed one of the, you know, one of that religious family that had like 16,000 members and the one son was the on Duggars. there. But, so what if yeah, the, the Duggars. Duggars, thank you. So, so so what if somebody like WikiLeaks got a hold of these dating apps and revealed people's names and picked, like just this stuff is not secure, Adam. Um true story real quick. I mean that's not a real concern. Me, yeah, a coworker told me yesterday they were on a phone call. She was on her and her boyfriend were on a phone call with a friend, so they were on a speaker call and all of a sudden out of nowhere their phone was like, This call is now being recorded, this call is now being recorded. And their friend on the other side freaked the fuck out, hung up. They called him back, and they're like, hey, um, did you hit some kind of button or something or try to record the call? And he's like, no. And they were like, yeah, we didn't either. So, And it was like the day after the WikiLeaks dump about the CIA being able to hack into iPhones and Android, and all of a sudden 
their phone call just bursts out with like this call is now being recorded. So is technology like freaking out like Terminator like it becomes self aware August first, nineteen ninety seven? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I I I proceed with my life um with with the understanding that nothing I say or do can be kept secret. I just accept that. Yeah. For one thing, yeah. I'm I'm kind of a public person and I dump all of all of my secrets on Facebook and Twitter and in my <laughs> okay. acts regularly. So, okay. I don't I mean, do I'd rather people didn't have my social security number and try to steal my identity right. or or file a fraudulent tax return. Obviously, that would be a huge fucking hassle. But mm-hmm. as far as my secret, my my sexual secrets or any other secrets, I mean, I put everything out there. I put out there that I'm HIV positive. I put out there that I'm a slut. I put out there, you know, my most <laughs> embarrassing experiences. Um, to me, that's it's on that's the public being stage. A comedian. It's on the stage, right? It's on well, the and stage. that's what yeah. being a comedian is is the the kind of stand up that interests me and the kind that I've always been attracted to are when comedians are are vulnerable and they're real and they're um they're putting all of their most shameful things front and center in a place where they can laugh at it and see it for sort of the the, the silliness of it and make other people feel better about their own shit that to me is sort of the purpose yeah. of, of comedy is to make us laugh at the things that are really dark and really scary in our own lives and realize like, okay, I can live through this. This isn't such a big deal. This person's laughing yeah. at it so I can laugh at it. All right. You know, so and that's why when people about... say like, oh, you can't make jokes about cancer. You can't make jokes about AIDS. You can't make jokes about the Holocaust. No, we, you have to make jokes about those things because that's how we deal with them as human beings. Definitely, definitely, uh, and that's um, my soapbox yes, for today, Brandon Carmody. Well, 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 we have about nine and a half minutes left, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to call this section Goodbye. Hardballs. So, so, so off oh, okay, go ahead. Use hardball. We're, we're going to do hardballs. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about comedy. I like hardballs. Hollywood. So, so the whole Hollywood culture, comedy, music, everything that we do, Adam. I'm a musician. I'm a radio guy. So. Under this president, under this administration, let's just get right to it. How much harder is it for us and for Hollywood and for what we do to survive and keep doing what we do under this administration? I mean, let's just go there. Is it is it hard for you? Is it hard for me? Um, I think it, there's sort of a paradox. I think that on the one hand, you have a, a, a president, quote-unquote, and an administration that is so anti-the um, arts, anti-creativity, anti-anything that, um, that, that, that has to do with exp- expression and truth. Um, and that's obviously um, dangerous. But on the other hand, I think history has shown us that great art can thrive in those situations. Um, I think when you try to oppress people and you try to beat them down, sometimes that's when they cre- create their most um, amazing work. I think out of struggle – and out of anger and rage and fear um, can come beautiful art and beautiful music, yeah. beautiful whatever it is that you do to express yourself. Um, and I, I, you know, I think we're living through the worst time in American history as far as um, 
what's happened to our government, you know, maybe the Civil War was worse, but this would be number two. Um, what's happened to our system of government is is so terrifying, and I think it's going to be a, a, a while before we can dig ourselves out of it. But I but I think that um, the pendulum always seems to swing in this country, and out of really dark times um, come really joyous times and re, and incredible liberation and um, and enlightenment. So I'm hoping that that after this period of darkness, we enter a new period of enlightenment. Exactly, exactly. And you um, just hinted at a moment ago, you know, you've spoken with people in the LGBTQ community that have spanned multiple generations. So they've seen the different presidential administrations. They were around before and after Don't Ask, Don't Tell and now Gay Marriage in 2015. So I believe as a community that we can survive this. But um, just like you just like you said a moment ago, so many people that I know and guests that we talk to, people are just terrified. They're scared out of their minds and uh so i fear for the vulnerable communities the most i really do and that's kind of what our focus is right now is giving a voice to everything under the lgbtq umbrella and trying to hone in on addressing the issues and trying to be positive but honest at the same time you know what i mean absolutely i mean i think that right now is such an important time for every person whether they're an artist or not but especially if they're an artist, to speak out. I think no one can be silent right now. If you are silent with what is going on in our government right now and in the White House, then you are you're in, you're a collaborator. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think comparisons to the Nazis are are over overdone are, are overstated. I think that that um, that Donald Trump is a fascist. I think that the people he surrounds himself with are fascists and neo-Nazis. Um, we've seen that clearly. I mean, Steve Bannon, Jeff Sessions, um, these are bad people, just, just you know, qualitatively bad. There's no arguing it. And, um, and if you don't stand up at, a, at an award show or on a comedy stage or wherever you are and say, I reject this, this is not my America, yeah. I am not going to live in a place where immigrants and minorities fear for their safety um, on our streets, where trans people, you know, feel like there's no place for them to even go to the bathroom, which is such a basic human right. Um, you got You have to speak up now. You cannot stay silent. And and I think the the activism that I'm seeing across the country is what's really keeping me from losing my mind right now because I think there's a whole new generation of activism that's just brewing in response to the, the, the ugliness that's coming out of that White House. Absolutely. Um, if you had to take everything that we know at this point about Russia and its potential involvement in our election and the various members of the Trump cabinet, do you think that we're, we're going to see some type of Nixonian you know, Washington Post type reveal that's going to reveal a smoking gun, or if you had to guess, do you think they're going to get away with it? It seems like every day so much stuff is coming out via the print media that it feels like the Nixon White House, like we're getting close to a big, like, oh, my God, they did it. They really did it. I mean, we could potentially, potentially see a presidential impeachment in our lifetime. I th- all of this I think year, we will. Next year. I- I think he'll be impeached because I think um, the, the leaders in his own party hate him and, and understand 
what an absolute loose cannon he is and how unqualified and unfit he is. They're not going to say it yet because they, they're still in a position where they have something to gain um, from his being in power. But it's just like Nixon. There, there's, a, there's a turning point that will come when it becomes politically unacceptable to support Trump. When enough comes out, when we finally get to see those tax mm-hmm. returns, which can be subpoenaed by a congressional committee, when we finally see the full extent of his ties to Russia and the collusion that went on between his campaign and the Russian government, then every Republican in Congress for their own survival, and that's all they care about, they only care about their own power, will have to stand up and say, we must remove this president from office. What's going to be interesting to me is to see if Pence can survive. Is if, you know, I want to know how involved was Pence in all of this, or was he totally yeah. left out, or was he a willing participant? Because um, if he was part of it, then we get Paul Ryan as president, which uh, in a way is scarier. Well, it's and it's scarier to me to uh, a Paul Ryan presidency because he's incredibly smart and incredibly polished, but every bit is evil. So, um, you know, he could really hold on to to the presidency and gain another term. Whereas, if it were if it were Pence uh, or or God forbid Trump stays in office all four years, I think for sure we get a Democratic president. But who knows? I, I don't want to make any predictions because I was yeah, so fucking yeah. wrong about all my predictions for this election. Right, right. We all were. Well, and Paul Paul Ryan is basically ready to take Trump care on tour like it's fucking Jesus Christ superstar. He's literally got the band ready. The dates are about to books, man. I mean they're gonna take that thing out. Uh I don't I personally I think that their their proposed repeal of Obamacare is gonna die on impact because if you look at these town halls, people are speaking out. They're speaking out and they're saying, No, if you take this away, my husband's gonna die of this or I'm not gonna be able to pay this. You know, there's a lot of valid reasons for them to rethink their strategy there. Well, they don't give a shit about that. They don't care if people die. They, they never have. The Republican strategy of government is fuck everyone who's not exactly like me. Um, but what will, what will kill Trump care is that so many Republicans oppose it. Um, they can't even get it passed in the House, and if they somehow manage to do so, it definitely won't pass in the Senate. The Senate's so, so, so close – um, as far as Democrats versus Republicans, there's only you know what like a one or two person majority in the Republican Party, and and there's way more Republican senators than that who oppose this new plan. So I I think yeah. what you're going to see is Obamacare basically survives, but then they end up pushing through a bunch of amendments to 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 make it I don't know more favorable to the to the insurance companies and and harder for people yeah. to, to to pay their health care bills, which is what they want. Okay, 30 seconds, and I didn't warn anyone the other day. The recording will cut off. Plug it. Where can they get the album, Adam Sank? Go to adamsank.com. My album is called Adam Sank Live from the Stonewall Inn. It's available on Amazon, iTunes, and wherever obscure comedy albums are found. (laughs) Follow me on Twitter, at Adam Sank, on Instagram, at Adam Sank. On Facebook, my name is Adam Sank, comma, comedian. That's my page. Please like it. And thank you, as always, for having me on, Brandon. You are a, uh, a tremendous supporter, and I appreciate it. Adam Sank, thank you very much.